going back and just kind of seeing what was there, there's a lot of staples that I still love that came out that year that even now I'm convinced did not come out in 2007. You're listening to It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm Kyle Hawk, editor-in-chief at itsalldead.com, and on the other line, across the stormy seas, is Kyle Schultz, senior editor in Chicago. What's up? Yulihoo! Hello, sir. How you doing? I'm good, yourself? Not too bad. Um, just hosting a podcast, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good time to talk about some uh, albums that are turning a certain age um you know is it six <laughs> not quite um oh man so i really messed this assignment up i don't even know how this started when we started it's all dead and by the way it has been almost exactly uh four years now since the site launched and so um special thank you to everybody that still comes to the website and listens to this podcast like <laughs> Uh, I know when we started this, or, you know, at least for me, I was kind of like, well, I guess if anybody, like if one person cares about this, that's cool. Um, but to think that more people keep coming, um, it's kind of crazy. So thank you to everybody for doing that. Um, and one of the things that we do at this website, and we've been doing it since pretty much we launched the website, is we do these features where we write about albums that came out 10 years ago. Um, I don't even know if we ever discussed that idea or how we started that, but we both kind of like took it up right away. Um, and we do a lot of them throughout the year, kind of reflect on some of our favorite albums that turn 10. Um, I mean, obviously that's really kind of like arbitrary, but you know, I, I think it's important or at least fun to kind of look back on a milestone of an album that still matters and acknowledge why it's important. Um, and we always supplement that with a podcast where we talk about some of our favorite albums from from 10 years prior um how well uh, go ahead a fun fact for you i remember how this started okay um it started off we were desperate for content and then it turned out <laughs> that we both love making lists yeah <laughs> sounds about right <laughs> yeah uh no those early days it was a scramble um it still is sometimes but um <laughs> you know at least now we kind of know our niche and what we like and for whatever reason i mean these these sorts of conversations tend to go over well i think people respond well to the nostalgia and people like remembering and reading and talking about things from times past and so um, it's something we've kept on doing um what were your feelings about 2007 i'll, I'll say like there are some great albums from 2007 i think 2006 2005 may have been better for me personally in terms of albums that mean a lot to me but i mean there's still some good stuff no i'm uh the same way there is an incredible amount of albums from 2005, 2006 that I'm still in love with. I remember for the last decade thinking 2007, 2008 were horrible years for music. Mm -hmm. It was uh, right around the time that, like, you know, the golden age of pop punk had died. Yeah. And uh, a lot of bands that were popular then just kind of fell by the wayside. The few that survived were struggling to figure out what they were doing with themselves. And uh, there's a lot of experimentation and sound, and not all of it worked. Um, some of it for the better, some of it for the worse. A lot of bands that we listen to today came out of that year, kind of out of nowhere. And uh, a lot of their first albums, I'm not 
particularly big on, but I'm glad that they're still around uh, for what they put out. And going back and just kind of seeing what was there, there's a lot of staples that I still love that came out that year that even now I'm convinced did not come out in 2007. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it seems like the further we go, the more it seems like, oh, shit, it's been 10 years. So, Well, it, it, for me, like uh, some of them I'm convinced came out in 2006, 2008, and then it's like – I'm looking at the date that I have my album on. It's 2007. You look up Wikipedia, it says 2007. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to go find a third source, and it says 2007. <laughs> so apparently this fucking year is full of glory. So, <laughs> Well, this will be um, a good conversation. And just so everybody knows, as you're listening, um, you can read what we've already written about this year. Just go to itsalldead.com, click on the Features section, or in the search bar in the top right, you can search Reflecting On. That's what we start each of the titles of the articles with when we do this um and you can find our collection of remembrances there um i'll go ahead and get us started i i think we did them a little bit differently like the the two of us each album i picked i've already written about in some form or another um but i feel like they're i still want to talk about these albums specifically because it's just a little bit different format the conversation might be a little bit different um but the first one i'm going to talk about i didn't write the feature on it but i did go to the 10-year anniversary tour to cover that um it's mayday parades a lesson in romantics this is my favorite album from 2007 and one of my favorite albums of all time um this is the debut from mayday parade um, it's the only album to feature Jason Lancaster on vocals with Derek Sanders. Jason left the band uh, on not so great terms before the album was even released, which created a, a certain mystique to it that I think the band has constantly struggled and living up to in a lot of fans' eyes. And uh, I've loved Mayday Parade ever since then as well. I'm not necessarily, I, I love Jason um, and he is great on this album, but I'm not tied to him as if, you know, he's he's what made Mayday Parade necessarily. Um, but what I do love about this album, that being said, is Jason and Derek's vocals together, the way they harmonize, the way they trade off verses. Um, it's, it's incredible. This album kind of came at the perfect time where kind of Fall Out Boy... Um, had kind of like paved the way for like a ton of bands that sounded like fallout boy to come out of the woodwork mayday parade (laughs) was probably one of those bands i mean it's hard to define this album necessarily it's emo rock i guess there's a little bit of pop punk influence to it um but the song titles are like ridiculously long um it is you know a lot of the lyrics are super emo but damn it's good i mean these guys can play their instruments really well. And when you think about this as a debut album, it's like so much, so much better than you would expect a debut to be. Like I listened to this album front to back. It's the only way I can listen to it. Uh, The first song on the album, Jamie all over has been the ringtone on my phone for years. Um, I, uh, my, my wife's sister, who's an artist did a piece of artwork for me. That's actually right above my computer right now. It's always up there. It's of, it's based on the artwork with the umbrella guy. Like this is an album that, that means the world to me. And it's, it's amazing. I'm happy that, you know, I, 10 years later, I can look back on it and see that like, if it came out today, I may not have been into it just because my tastes have changed, but I listened to it today and still love the hell out of it. So I don't know. That's a big one for me. And I, I don't know if you ever really got into Mayday Parade or not, but um, if you haven't, you might like this. One. I, I've dabbled in them. I've never uh, really sat down and listened to a lot of their stuff in a row. Cool. So I'm 
very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, you're a disappointment, but it's fine. Oh, man. Um, no, that's my favorite album of 2007. I love the others I'm going to mention as well, but that one is a, a huge standout for me. So, um, For me, one of my big ones is Saves the Days Under the Boards. And uh, it's one of my favorite Saves the Day albums. It came out at the time when the band was transitioning their sound. They just put out Sound the Alarm a couple years before this, and that was a much harder edge to it than uh, you know their previous releases. Chris Connolly had worked himself down to the point where he could write a perfect pop song, and just the guitars are crunchy. It was the middle of their trilogy of albums dealing with depression, and Under the Boards was as dark as it could possibly get. And on top of that, he was experimenting with his sounds, he was trying different stuff, and it's much more experimental than most everything else they put out. It's a lot different than anything else they put out. Um, and it has one of my favorite songs on it, which is Can't Stay the Same, which is just, it's a perfect pop song. And even people who don't like Save His Day, I, after playing that song, they still know that song 10 years later for how catchy it is. And what's weird is this is the album where most of my friends who love Save His Day throughout the entirety of high school and early college this is the album they stopped listening to because it was mm-hmm. too different from what they loved and they never came back to it after this so i feel like it's very divisive but it's also the most unique thing in their discography yeah i was actually going to ask you about that because i know you're the between the two of us you're definitely the saves the day expert i wondered how they're how the fans of the band kind of revered this album because i definitely in terms of conversations i overhear about the band it's not an album that comes up a lot no, they have uh, one or two songs from this that they play pretty regularly. Most of the time, it's Can't Stay the Same. Uh, other than that, this album is more or less kind of forgotten by the band. Even They don't play anything from it very often. Uh, you know, their fans don't talk about it. But it's something I really... It's one of the albums I truly treasure from them just because it's so different than anything else they put out. And it's definitely... It's not a first listen love. It's something that grows on you over time. Yeah, that's interesting. It's that's a really good album to bring up. Then, um, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, in terms of <laughs> uh, fans' feelings about an album, my next one is Paramore's Riot. Um, I'm pretty sure this is considered by most of their fans as to be kind of the the uh, best or most loved album of the band. Um, that had to come out in 2008. Nope. There's no way that's a 2007 album. Sorry, buddy. 2007. Son of a bitch. Look it up. Um, no, <laughs> I, I can still remember driving to go buy this album on the day of its release. Um, I can remember playing it. I So I had kind of enjoyed their debut. I hadn't gotten super into it, but I listened to Misery Business. It went up on pure volume uh, back when that was a thing. And apparently in 2007, it still was. And listening to Misery <laughs> Business for the first time, and I audibly said out loud in the room, I was like, Paramore is about to be the biggest band in the world. Like, this is crazy. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard a band progress this fast. Um, and sure enough, they blew up like crazy um, and have kept it going since then. Now, Riot is not my favorite album of theirs. I love Riot. I mean, I'll put it on any time and enjoy it. Um, but I, I've, I mean, the album they put out this year, After Laughter, I thought was incredible. I love their self-titled album. I'm still a big fan of their debut. I mean, in my opinion, they haven't put out a bad album necessarily. Um, But there is something about Riot. There's a magic to it, and there's a fire to it that um, almost every other band in the scene has not been able to quite replicate what they put off with that. And Haley Williams is just, just outstanding. I mean, it's just a fun album. 
Um, and it's, I, I can't imagine somebody just hating it or something like it's, it's great. No, it's uh, really weird how much they exploded off of that because they, it was immediately after this, they put out their live album, right? Where they recorded their concert yep. in a stadium. Yep. Yeah. It's just, there's a magic to it that really can't be replicated. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, quickly, my favorite song on of it off of it is miracle which they did not play live until a couple years ago and they played this tour where they only played like songs that they'd never played live um that i went to and i was so happy because that song is so damn good um, <laughs> yeah that's it what about you what's next uh next for me is motion city soundtracks even if it kills me um i when this album came out i had only heard motion city soundtrack for the first time maybe about a month and a half before the album came out and uh that you know, I had heard "Commit This to Memory" just kind of out of nowhere, and realized how I had been missing out on a magical band for you know a couple of years. And when it came out, I remember being so excited because I was in love with the band. And uh, my first listen to it, I wasn't stoked on it, uh, and that seemed to be the opinion of a lot of people around the time. Where it's just it's a good pop album, but it wasn't quite what fans wanted. And I don't know if that's uh, really what happened but I remember a lot of people around me just weren't super into it yep. and the more I listened to it I fell in absolute love with it to the point where I almost can't listen to Commit This to Memory anymore because it sounds too uh, amateurish compared to Even If It Kills Me um, just the pop rhythms to it uh, Justin Pierre's vocals are so much better everything about it is so much more refined and it gave a nice springboard to uh, My Dinosaur Life and the aggressiveness that went along with that. There, it seemed like they learned a lot of lessons with Even If This Kills Me in terms of songwriting that helped them become even better musicians. And, uh, you know, a lot of the songs of this album are still some of my favorite Motion City songs. Um, they're still the only band I have ever crowd surfed to, to a song <laughs> on this album. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so it, it, it means a lot to me. And, you know, I, I love a lot of stuff they put out, but even if it kills me, it holds a special place in my heart. Even though it's not my favorite Motion City uh, album, it's probably next in line. Yeah, so that's why I love having these conversations. Because, like, you know, Paramore's Riot, people probably feel mostly the same about it now as they did in 2007. Even if it kills me as an album that I know people personally who are fans of that band that did not like that album at all when it came out that now really enjoy it. Like that, I feel like in the moment, the reception of that album was not good and it took time. Like it took like maybe even after another album or two from Motion City Soundtrack for people to go back and be like, oh, this is really good. Yeah. So I, it's, it's funny to hear the experience you had since it doesn't sound like you had gotten in to commit this to memory necessarily before that album came out. No. <laughs> so yeah, that, I mean that, that makes perfect sense. So, but I, I love that. I, I, that's, those are some of my favorite albums for us to talk about like this is like 10 years later, we look back and we're like, Oh damn, this was really good. You know? Mm. So yeah, very cool stuff. Um, my next album on the list is Anne Berlin cities and Anne Berlin, I was in love with. Um, I really got into them in their debut, which I talked about on our last podcast. Um, Cities came out. I bought it the day it came out. 
And I actually, I didn't tell anybody this because I was a little embarrassed, but I wasn't really all that into it at first. What? Um, it kind of took seeing them live uh, on that album cycle to kind of start getting into to cities. Um, but now at this point, you know, the, the band's been broken up for a few years. They put out seven albums, all of which are varying degrees of, they're all from excellent to really good. Um you know, now I look back as Cities as being their best album. And I think a lot of fans of the band feel the same way. It's uh, definitely the most cohesive in terms of just an overarching narrative to the album. Um, and there's really only one song on it that I skip when I listen to it. But I mean, just the, the flow of it, the the maturity and musicianship, and pretty much every member of the band is just fantastic. And the closing track on that album, Finn, uh, is is one of the best songs that, one of the best rock songs that's been written in the past 10 years. Um, so it's a, uh, it's incredible. And this is one that I know that you weren't into in 2007. Cause I think I remember last year telling me you'd bought it and like, listen to it. Like, was that like a year ago or something? More or less. Yeah. I remember we saw them live. No, uh, that was under, I, I, Fuck it. I bought it somewhere along the line uh, because you'd recommended it so much. And then I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> no, I uh, I really fell in love with it after I heard it for the first time. Yeah. So, I mean, was there something about it? I mean, how do you feel like you would have felt about it hearing it in 2007 as opposed to hearing it in, you know, 2016 or whatever? 2007, I don't know what I would have thought. Um, like I said, I, I was a little bitter back in the time just because uh, – a lot of stuff I loved was kind of folding at the time, like drive through records and more or less collapsed. Um, a lot of bands I liked were kind of falling off or like saves day, you know, and even motion city to a certain extent, were changing their sounds slightly. And, uh, you know, saves day were losing fans. And I remember a lot of bands are coming out. Um, I think a day to remember put something out in that year. And just, there was a lot of like really hard rock coming out right around that time yeah. that I just was not into. Cause it all sounded the same. Just, you know, blasty guitars and high-pitched vocals that I couldn't tell the difference between singers. And I honestly, there's a lot of records in that era that I just cast off to the side and didn't pay attention to that going back to it a few years later, I found a good appreciation for. Yeah. So and, and, in 2007, I literally have no idea what I would have thought about yeah. it. Yeah. It's funny, just the way you mentioned it, Amberlynn kind of they went in the opposite direction with this album. It's a thinking man's album. So for anybody that just wanted to kind of rock out and not pay attention, it's not really conducive to that. You kind of have to listen in and and follow along with the story. Um, And I'll end with, uh, I think I've said this on a previous podcast, one of my favorite lines of all time in that closing song on cities, uh, Stephen Christian says, we're not questioning God, just those he chose to carry on his cross. Like, (laughs) God damn, every single time I hear that line, I just chills up my spine. So it's a good up next uh my up next is my favorite album my album of the year for 2007 uh it's still probably my top three or four albums that i listen to currently uh i up until about yesterday i would have sworn on my life that it came out in 2006 but after <laughs> it, studying multiple sources going back and checking uh Facebook posts and memories of the time and questioning one other person. It definitely <laughs> came out in 2007. Uh, the Fratelli's Costello music. It's one of probably the five albums. I would say that literally every person should listen to or own. Uh, 
it's an amazing record and it gets a lot of hate for being you know brit pop um but there is a magic and ex- and an ex- eccentric energy to it that almost nothing else can put out it made the fratellis instant uh almost household names for a little bit when they came out um because one of their singles was used in the uh apple ipod commercial and oh, yeah. before that, they had released it in uh, Britain in 2006, so I was kind of right. And they had blown up there, and they were bringing it over to the uh, U.S. in 2007. So Apple really put them on the map. And I remember hearing that song and being obsessed with it to the point where I downloaded the album uh, allegedly, illegally, uh, to listen to. <laughs> Fell absolutely in love with it. Bought it on release day in the U.S. I remember counting down the days until it came out. Uh, they put out a single of uh, one of the songs that had a few extra B-sides on it. I bought that. And one of my best friends was on uh, vacation in Mexico. And I listened to this thing 24 hours a day for a week waiting for him to get home. And I got he got back, and I just went, I have a record for you. And he's like, hold on, I have a record for you. And we both pulled out Costello Music to hand to each other. Oh, it's uh, Every single on, song on it is amazing. Uh, John Fratelli is just frantic in the way he wrote these songs. Like, if you ever look at the guitar uh, power chord progressions for it and, you know, how to play, it's absolutely impossible. <laughs> or at least for me, I'm kind of dumb. But it's just... <laughs> It's incredible. Each song is its own little story. Uh, just the catchiness to it, just the vibe of it. Where it's pub music. It's meant to be played while drinking with your friends, but it's talking about you know prostitutes and gambling. And uh, there's characters that you can follow from song to song that kind of wind their way through. It's just there's an energy to it that is almost unmatched by anything I can think of. And uh, it actually helped me get into hockey because I moved to Chicago. I was watching the Blackhawks. I didn't yep. give a shit. And they scored, and Chelsea Dagger starts playing, and the entire stadium starts singing. I think it's called like the Dead Man's Hymn, where it's just like da 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 da. And even now, it still has that legacy where they're more or less, uh, you know, the Blackhawks' official band. And I didn't even know about that. And it's just, it's one of my favorite albums. Ten years later, it hasn't lost an ounce of energy. Uh, it's still what the Fratellis are known for, even though they put out you know albums after that, and they're experimenting with their sound now. They've done different things, but they st- still keep coming back to this and the storytelling element of it. Yeah, that's awesome and a fantastic personal story in there. Like that was, <laughs> that was incredible. Um, so a couple things: one, the Fratellis have to love it's all dead because you have given that band a lot of love on our website well they fucking um, better <laughs> <laughs> and um you know it's it's funny because i feel like in 2007 if your song gets played on an ipod commercial like your life's about to change right i mean yeah. you know it's it's funny how we've almost become saturated with that sort of thing but think about 2007 those ipod commercials were like iconic um like that that's a game changer you know um, and, a, and kind of a really fascinating, I don't know, sort of touchstone for an album like that. Um, well, I'm going to quickly knock out an honorable mention I've got on here. And uh, this turned 
10 uh, in September. It's Kanye West's graduation. Um, I wrote about it. It's my least favorite Kanye West album. I still love it. Um, there's album, there's, you know, like my beautiful dark twist of fantasy. I put on in a dark room alone and just kind of like shiver at my own existence. Um, Kanye West graduation. I put on when we have people over and having a house party. It's just (laughs) that kind of album. It's the album that I want to put on and feel good. I want to dance. I want to have a drink. Um, and, he perfected it. He had just come off of a tour with U2 and basically would like stand at the side of the stage and kind of study their performance and how Bono would like interact with the crowd and the way that he performed and was like, I'm going to write a rap album that does that. So if I played in front of like a stadium full of people, I could have the same effect. And he did it. And Graduation is that album. <laughs> um, had not been that sort of anthemic album. There hadn't been something quite like that in hip hop, just kind of another game changer uh for him and in, in terms of what he did for the genre but yeah uh an album i i still enjoy quite a lot nice i have uh two honorable mentions one is uh black audio sex cells um i hadn't really listened to black audio until a few years after this album came out and it was really weird because i don't know how much i would have gotten into the album itself if not for my love of afi uh and it's really weird because listening to it, it's just Davey Havoc and Jade Puget, and it's just all electronic music, which is really outside the norm for uh, someone like Jade, who is a guitar god. But uh, thematically, it fits in line with AFI, where it brings the dark uh, broodiness to it, except it relieves all of Davey Havoc's uh, sexual tension that he doesn't throw into AFI whatsoever. <laughs> so the entire thing is just... Uh, you know, a frustrated sexual album with some heavy, dark beats that really aren't like anything else in techno music that at least I'm aware of. And uh, it's also weird because it's the first side project that Davey and Jay did, and now they have like three or four of them. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they put this one on the back burner for a few years, and now they're at a point where they've actually started making Black Audio a bit more of a priority than it uh, was when this came out. Yeah. Um, the other honorable mention I have, and it's something that I do not listen to hardly at all anymore, but it's still important, I think, is the Wonder Years Get Stoked on it. Mm. Uh, they released their first album in 2007, and it is a train wreck. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's funny, because like, you listen to it, and... Uh, you know, Dan Campbell is singing and he has the same kind of vocals that he has on the upsides. The guitars are still heavy like they are on the upsides and they have all the makings for what they'd eventually be. But it's just it's a mess of a record. And I think it would be OK. It'd be a fun album. But the uh, keyboards they have in it are so loud, it ruins everything else for me. And it's almost <laughs> unlistenable. And I, I don't know if I would still like the band as much as I do now if they still had those goddamn keyboards. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that's an element that's kind of faded by the wayside in terms of uh, their sound, and they doubled down on the guitar of it. And I think it would hold up a bit better if that were there, because it it's not taking you know the serious route that their other records have, and it still has some of the uh, humor that the Upsides has in it, except dialed up, but... It's uh, just a fun little piece of uh, history for a band that's kind of revered now. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I when you mentioned that album, I was like, "What is he going to say about this?" <laughs> like, I, I was prepared for anything. Oh, I, I uh, saw it the other day, and I'm like, you know, going over everything. Like, this came out in 2007, and I went to listen to. It. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why we don't listen to this. <laughs> so, quick question about Black Audio is: Would you say that the majority of their f- fan base are like crossover fans from AFI, or do they have their own kind of distinct group that follows them? I would say most of their fans are crossover fans. Um, AFI has a really deep cult to it that follows the band members to basically anything they do. So I, I'm sure Black Audio has its own fans just based on uh, the genre of music it is and you know what it goes for. But I'd say most of their fans are uh, crossover from AFI. So I'll share a quick story about a uh, Black Audio as it relates to my life. Oh? So... I subscribed to Alternative Press for years. Um, and back in 2007, one of the albums I didn't mention that probably could have been an honorable mention was uh, The Almost, Southern Weather. It was the debut mm. album from Aaron Gillespie, the drummer of Under Oath. It was his side project. And, of course, Under Oath, my favorite band. So, you know, around this time, uh, and I don't know if they still do this, I don't subscribe anymore, but they used to do, they would put out, like, two covers, like, the same issue but the covers would be different and i invariably would always there would be like one cover i would really want and it'd show up my mailbox and i'd it'd be the one i didn't care about so uh this particular time 2007 they did a issue on the best side projects and the two covers were aaron gillespie and the other one was black audio who <laughs> i didn't listen to or really have much interest in it at all and sure as shit the <laughs> issue shows up my mailbox and it's black audio and i was like god damn <laughs> so that's my black audio story <laughs> so yeah i'm a bad person basically i guess well yeah but i don't know if that has anything to do with it <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's 2007 sweet i cannot believe we've done another year um, it's going to be weird in the year 2027 when we're talking about the albums that came out in 2017 on this podcast. What are you talking um, about? We're still going to be talking about 2007. Remember when we were young <laughs> and music was fun. It's the 20-year anniversary. Um, <laughs> no, that's cool. I So I, I was thinking back. Our, we started the site in October of 2013. So, but and I I do remember, even though it wasn't a full year, we did a podcast on the best albums of 2003. So we've got... Oh, three, four, five, six, and seven. Now, I would say 2007 probably ranks fourth out of those five years in terms of like my overall enjoyment of the albums that came out that year. Um, which isn't to say that it's bad by any means, but like, you know, after doing these like 2004, five, and six ones, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, like those were, those were kind of my wheelhouse. I think. Yeah, same here. And like I said, I was grumpy for a couple of years because I just seemed like everything was falling to pieces and no one quite knew what they wanted to do with it. And, uh, 2007 really, um, exemplifies that more than any other year. I think 2008 is a very close second. So expect me next year being like, ah, everything sucks. (laughs) So I, you didn't mention say anything's in, uh, defense of the genre, um, which I think you're writing about, and I am. I am I'm I hope you do because I'm really excited to hear your thoughts about that album because I feel like that is like one of the albums from 2007 everybody has an opinion on. So yeah, no, I uh, thought about it, but there were other albums I wanted to mention that I'm not writing on. I noticed that you did not mention Fallout Boy. 
Well, because I thought you were going to mention Fallout Boy, but uh, I did write an article on it that I was actually really proud of. It's my favorite of all the. I, I mean, how many of these stupid things have you written? <laughs> now? But of all of my ten-year reflection pieces, the Fallout Boy Infinity on High one is hands down my favorite, or like the most proud I've been of mm-hmm. any of those I've written. So, if you're listening and want to hear me talk about Fallout Boy, go to itsalldead.com and look it up. Do it. Go now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's gonna do it, Kyle. Thank you, as always. Thank you're you, sir. A uh, legend, a scholar, and a uh, polite young man. You're pretty cool too. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Go to itsalldead.com. Check out our website. If you like the podcast, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Go to iTunes. Leave us a review. Tell us how much you love this show or don't. Whatever. We just want to hear from you and we love you. All right. That's going to do it. I'm Kyle Hawk and we'll catch you next time. Doodaloo. Thanks for listening to the It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at itsalldead.com for the latest music news, reviews, and much more.